This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. We're going to embark upon a series for the uh, month of January, four messages in this particular series. Uh, if you didn't get a card when you came in, uh, there's cards when you go out called uh, Mountain Moving Prayer Card. Uh, the Mountain Moving Prayer Card is actually uh, 14 days of devotions. And uh, if you start it now, you can repeat it again. We'll actually start 14 days of prayer and fasting a week from tomorrow. And so next Sunday, I'll uh, minister on this series, but part of it will be prayer and fasting and what we're doing this year with prayer and fasting. And then uh, we will move together if you would, if you have other devotions you're doing, that's fine. Just add this to it so we as a congregation kind of move together. And uh, we'll take all 14 of these points over 14 days. And then we'll end our prayer and fasting like we traditionally have done, which is a very powerful night uh, with a mega prayer night on every campus where we anoint every person with oil, kind of symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming upon you for this year and your business and your job and your finance and your health and all that you are. And so this builds up to that. And I put on the card, every one of these scriptures are scriptures that go with the particular topic that's on the card. So the first day, you'll be talking about mountains of fear and how you handle fear. If you will look up the scriptures, the card will mean so much more to you than just going through and praying about fear. If you will actually go through and read those scriptures on fear and then pray that day and then put your own personal life in order, the mountains of worry, the mountains of doubt, the mountains of discouragement, mountains of lack, sickness, problems, job problems, relationships, parenting, lost people, unanswered prayer, dream killers, hopelessness, lukewarm living, all of these and the scriptures with them will help you kind of do a devotional for 14 days while we're doing prayer and fasting. And I'll talk about the prayer and fasting aspect of our new year as uh, we get into it next week. I don't need to do it right now. But this morning, I want to uh, introduce the series to you and uh, plow through some scriptures. Hopefully, it will be inspiring, not just plowing, but get through some scriptures and really get this topic in hand because it's a topic that Jesus taught taught about in the New Testament. I've been thinking about this particular uh, series uh, for a number of weeks, probably again because of what I've gone through last year, 2014, 2014 uh, being behind us. For me, I can say a big hallelujah, amen, so let it be behind me. How many of you can say the same thing about last year? Just, okay, uh, let it go, let it go. Everyone say out loud, let it go. Okay, let it go. Uh, the mill plane people, let me hear you say, let it go. Great, loud enough. Every time we come to a new anything, by the way, it's biblical, the Lord God Almighty is the one who created night and day, created 24 hours, seven days, months, years, decades, centuries. And there's a beginning point and an ending point to every season in life. I think there's an attention getter 
that we come to a new year because it's a way for God to redeem us from our thinking about our time and our uh, circumstances and maybe some regrets and failures. And, and so if we had no new beginnings, no new months, no new years, it might be monotonous and a little discouraging, but that's not how God created us or how he deals with us. So there's places where we can actually move life a little bit more forward and say, okay, I close the door to that year. I can't change it. I can't go back and relive another day of it. I can't go back and change anything I did or didn't do, achieved or didn't achieve, and failed or success, whatever. I can't change it. I lived it, and it will forever be gone. 2014 will forever be gone. But now I take my life, and hopefully I learn from those things, and I, I progress from the lessons of 2014, and I move to 2015. Why, why everybody has this thing called New Year's resolutions? Uh, most of them, of course, are not fulfilled, and they're done in the inspiration of the moment. And a lot of people have feelings about the year, and that's all they have is a feeling. They don't have a plan. They don't have a discipline. Uh, they'll might sink right back into the previous patterns they had that caused maybe some problems in 2014. But we're not like that. We're Christians with discipline. We have the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, God Almighty Himself helping us. And when we make resolutions, they're not just resolutions, they're spirit-lutions. Can I hear an amen? That is, the Holy Spirit helps us to achieve the things we got to achieve in our life, and He helps us to move forward and to change. We're never the same, and things move forward. The kingdom of God moves forward, and you're going to move forward. And to do that, you've got to move a few mountains, all right? I want you to go, first of all, to the Gospels. We're going to read three scriptures from the Gospel. Uh, Matthew 17, Matthew 21, and Mark 11. I want you to see the context. I'm going to take time to read this because I want you to understand that what I'm going to say is not outlandish. It's not something that should be thrown out as too radical of a belief system. And what in the world do you mean by moving mountains? So let's, first of all, just see what Jesus says about it. Matthew chapter 17. I'm going to begin reading with verse 14, okay? Matthew 17, verse 14 through verse 21. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, it doesn't seem like a very uh, compassionate, nice savior answer, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Jesus rebuked the demon. If you write it in your Bible, you might want to just circle the word demon. And he rebuked the demon, so there's some kind of a relationship sometimes between sickness and unseen world, demonic powers. I didn't say that. That's what the scripture says. That's what it points out. That's black and white and red letters. It says that he did not just say, and I pray for this epileptic uh, person to be cured of this disease. He actually calls this disease a demon. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, 
Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have, circle in your Bible the word faith, if you have faith as a mustard seed. Well, what does it mean to have faith as a mustard seed? I've heard a lot of different theories on this verse. I'm going to give you my interpretation of that in the series because I don't think Jesus is saying what a lot of people say from this scripture. And I'll point that out when I get there. And when you say, if you, again, will mark your Bible, when you circle the word say, and when you say to this, and this is where our series is coming from, to this mountain. So the demonic possessed child, the uh, sickness infirmity, and what's going on here, Jesus now says, it's a mountain. If you say to this mountain, move, everyone shout the word move. Move, move from here to there. And it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting, which we're going to be doing a week from tomorrow. This does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Obviously, the disciples were not fasting and were not up to their prayer power that they needed to be, nor did they have the faith that needed to be in this situation, nor did they understand the problem with demons and sickness. So this one little passage of scripture, Jesus is pointing out quite a few things. We're drawing the title, Moving Mountains, from this scripture and also now turn to Matthew chapter 21, a few pages over, Matthew chapter 21, and I'm going to read uh, from verse 17. I'm going to read from verse 17. Matthew 21 and verse 17. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it, found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, Let no fruits grow on you ever again. Immediately, the fig tree withered away. It's a miracle. When the disciples saw it, they marveled. I would marvel. How did the fig tree wither away so soon? Right in front of their eyes. So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if, 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 if you have faith and do not doubt, circle the word doubt, if you have faith, and do not doubt. You will not only do what was done to the fig tree. Well, what actually was done to the fig tree? But also if you say, here's our title again. If you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. Verse 22, and whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Mark chapter 11. Turn over one more gospel, Matthew, Mark, and go to chapter 11.
Mark 11 and verse 20. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree. This is the second account of the Gospels in the fig tree. The only two times that Jesus uses this separately about the mountains is Matthew 17, Matthew 21. One about the demon, one about the fig tree, then both end with the mountain moving idea. This is a repeat of the fig tree with a little different terminology. Mark chapter 11 and verse 20. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. So Mark cuts right to the miracle. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Everyone out loud, say that with me. Have so Jesus is obviously teaching about faith. And he's teaching about the enemies of faith, which is doubt, and also some demonic powers and some other things. But Jesus, again, faces the disciples and say, now listen, I want you to have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, will have whatever he says. Straightforward, but it sounds pretty radical. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. When I read these scriptures, and I would fall into a category of, of hopefully faith and believe in the Bible, but when I read scriptures like this, it's very difficult to imagine the kind of faith that Jesus is talking about because he's talking about something that's very real. There's three types of people that can look at this scripture and come up with different ideas about it. One is what I call the sinful skeptic. The sinful skeptic is the kind of person who points out how outrageous the Bible is and the claims of the Bible, and there is no way this is going to happen. How ridiculous, how ludicrous. What in the world are you talking about that you can say to a tree or say to a person or heal this or, or believe this and, and uh, the tree withers and the boy is healed and it's all because you have faith in God. And then you can say to mountains, be moved and cast into the sea. And now, This is just ridiculous stuff. And so the sinful skeptic looks at scriptures that are this radical and dismisses them as something that cannot happen and will not happen and they will not believe it. Don't be that person. The second group of people I would call the doctrinal doll. The doctrinal doll people. Doll, D-U-L-L, doll. Who believe the Bible but do not see miracle manifest manifestations as something that happens today. So they believe scripture. They're, they're pretty good with doctrine, maybe. Maybe they, they have some understanding of scriptures. Uh, they, they believe certain things about the scripture. But when they see things like this that involves uh, miracles, radical faith, strange things happen, casting out demons, healing the sick, uh, using phrases like, say to the mountain, move, and, and 
These kind of things, they just cannot grasp it. They cannot see it. They will not go there. And so, in fact, what happens, they don't see miracles. They don't ever experience the power of God. They never experience the radical faith of Jesus. They go along with a humdrum kind of a Christianity that has a belief system, but no power to the belief system. There's nothing fueling the, the belief system. So they, they have an understanding without power. Now, the Apostle Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians. He says, remember, when I preached to you about the kingdom of God, I didn't preach to you about the kingdom of God in word only. I came to you with power. I came with you uh, with manifestations. We, when we prayed, things shook. And when we prayed, things happened. And so I didn't just preach the kingdom of God academically. I came to you with power. And the kingdom of God is established by that power. So Paul was a power preacher. Paul was a man who believed in radical faith and healing and miracles and prison doors that opened for the apostles and shaken off a snake bite, not being poisoned by it and being healed and being in prison, writing his letters and uh, going to the third heaven. He writes about it in 2 Corinthians, that radical thing to even believe anybody could do. But Paul was open with his radical faith. He believed God to do anything, especially moving mountains. Now, the third group of people is the group that I would like to be and I want you to be. It's the faith in God who can do anything, people. It's the faith in God who can do anything, people. Those kind of people have an amazing life because when they pray, it's not dead prayer. When they move in a spirit of faith, it's not just a dead faith. It's not the kind that James talks about that has no fruit. It has no fruit. Their faith produces nothing. James says, if you have faith, it will produce something. You will see it and you will feel it and you will know it and the actions and the fruit of it and it will be there. The Apostle Paul says the same thing. So our faith is supposed to produce. It's supposed to have action. It's supposed to have prayers that are larger than our carnal mind that we move into it. As we move into the year 2015, I would like you to be able to move mountains in your life. Can I hear an amen? Now, those mountains that you have, I want you to stop and I want you to think with me for a moment. Okay, mountains. What mountains might I have that need to be moved in my life? They're obstacles. They're, they're mountains that are stopping you from doing something. They're mountains that if you try to go around them, it's just a waste of time. It appears later down the road. So there's mountains in our lives that have to be moved. And Jesus points out one of the mountains that has to be moved has some uh, realm of infirmity, sickness, and needs to be healing. There's a lot of sick people in the audience today, I'm sure, in all four campuses. And there's sick people all around you. You have friends. Some people are terminally sick. Some people have spirit of infirmity that they're always kind of sick. Uh, some people have attachments that they don't even know why they have to take all the meds they do, but they just can't shake it. I'm just wondering that if uh, uh, we would go to another level of, of believing a little bit more radical faith with prayer and fasting and all that we're going to do and move some mountains, that we might see some people set free, some people healed, some businesses set in order, some open heavens over people's lives, some new flow of thought and dreams, some new achievements, new accomplishments. I'm for moving forward. Can I hear an amen? Now what about your life? All right, Matthew 17. I want to read it. Uh, just verse 20 and 21. We'll only come back to Matthew 17 and pieces of the other ones as we move through the series. Here's a different translation. Because you're not yet taking God seriously, said Jesus, the simple truth is that if you had a mere kernel of faith, 
a poppy seed. Say, you would tell the mountain, move, and it would move. There is nothing you wouldn't be able to tackle. Now, I would, I would like that verse to be real to me. There is nothing, Frank, that you wouldn't be able to tackle. I, I would like that. If you have enough faith to get it into your mouth and say with faith in your heart, don't doubt what you're trying to do and move ahead. And there's keys, principles to these things I'm saying, and hopefully I'll share them with you and you can take this as a serious challenge from the scripture and go to another level of faith. If you just had a little uh, seed, a kernel of this kind of faith, what would happen? Nothing. You wouldn't be able to tackle. Okay, moving mountains. There's four things that stands out to me in these scriptures that help me to interpret it properly. So I'm going to give you that to make sure that as you listen to me, you'll also be able to frame in why I'm interpreting the Bible the way I'm interpreting. There's four things about moving mountains. First of all, there's a spiritual dimension truth. The spiritual dimension truth is that Jesus uses physical things to illustrate unseen things. He's not talking about physical mountains. No way. No way. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. Throw mountains around and prove your faith. So he's not talking about physical mountains. It's a metaphor. It's an illustration. It's a teaching point. It's something to hook onto. It's something you can imagine. And so he illustrates these problems by using these words. So the spiritual dimension truth is what Jesus is using in all three of the passages I read you. Second, there's a spiritual reality of the unseen. The principles that govern a world that you cannot see. There is a world that you cannot see. There's a world that is unseen, invisible. The Holy Spirit, you've never seen the Holy Spirit, and you will never see the Holy Spirit. It's an unseen spirit. Father God, Lord Jesus Christ, the angels, there's all these things we talk about as if they're real, but you've never seen them. But you have faith in the unseen world. You have faith in the invisible world. You have faith in the Holy Spirit. You have faith in the blood of Christ. You have faith in heaven and hell. You have faith in what God can do in your life. And so you're a person that's already started living a life in believing the unseen world is there. And so Jesus says the reality of the unseen is that there are certain principles that will break a demon off an epileptic kid that will bring healing to the boy the same hour you pray it. Now again, in America, we are very, very careful not to uh, put spiritual dimensions into the area of the medical world, especially sickness and disease and anything like it, so that every time someone gets sick, you try to cast a demon out of them. I'm not saying that that's the way it should be done at all. There are some times where it's not demonic, it's only physical, and you should treat it with uh, healthy foods and some meds, and, and you go through that. There's other times where there's some sicknesses that are demonic, and they're an attachment, a spirit of infirmity, and they come upon a body, and they can take that body out. I think when that happens, you better have a knowledge of the unseen, not just the seen, for you to get through that situation, not only with sickness, but with any other area of life that involves the kingdom of God with you. The third thing is that the spoken expression of faith is an action that Jesus teaches, even though there are 
uh, people that would classify these scriptures as a charismatic scripture. Uh, the faith people use these scriptures. I don't really care about classifications whatsoever. I know that Jesus used these scriptures and I'm on good ground to stand with Jesus. And so if Jesus was a man of faith, I would like to think I'd like to be a man of faith also. And if Jesus said, if you would say, so faith is in your mouth. You have to get faith from your heart to your mouth. You have to get faith from what you see into your mouth. And the reason you won't speak it, because what you see is like a mountain. And there's no possible way you're going to believe it can be moved. There's no possible way you can get out of this. There's no possible way you can get above it or move over it. And so you won't even say it. You won't pray it because it's so radically uh, outside of your realm of even believing that you do nothing about it. But Jesus says, if you can get what's in your heart into your mouth, things will change. Because what comes out of your mouth shapes your life. It shapes your emotions. It shapes your destiny. You might not like that, but it's a proven principle of the unseen world. Jesus teaches this right through the Gospels. The fourth thing is that the sustained growth of a seed. Jesus, and I, I want you, I, I will teach, I think, a whole session on this, hopefully, if I can get to it. Uh, the mustard seed here that Jesus is talking about, Jesus is not... Uh, confirming small faith. He's not doing that. He's not saying all you need is a tiny little bit of faith and you can do anything. He is not confirming the tiny faith syndrome. What he is saying about the mustard seed is that if you have a mustard seed, the principle of the interpretation here and the idea behind what Jesus is saying, it's an illustration of powerful potential. It's an illustration of powerful potential growth. It's an illustration that something small can become something dynamic as it grows. What Jesus is actually teaching about the seed is faith growing, not faith small. So what you want to do is say, well, if I just have a little bit of faith, that's all I need to move that. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying to you, your faith must grow. Even if it's as small as a mustard seed, don't limit it there. Let it come to its full potential and be what it's supposed to be because it will grow a great tree and that tree will have great influence. And your faith is like that. It's the seed that should grow. Some people's faith never grows. They're the same today as they were the first moment they believed in Jesus. They don't do anything different. They still have doubts about themselves, doubts about what God can do, doubts with the word and the promises, doubts with their future. They still live under some fear, some worry. They still live under some bad habits that they could break easily. It doesn't define them. But because their faith doesn't grow, they end up limiting their entire life and their legacy with any relationships or family you raise. Your legacy is found in your faith. It's not found in your knowledge. It's found in your faith. And so if you can pass that on, things will really change in the lives of the people that are around you. But your faith has to grow. When was the last time you stepped out of the boat and did something that was radically different than normal life? When was the last time you tried to pray for someone who was sick that needed a miracle? You tried it. When's the last time 
you did something in the realm of faith and believing without doubt that caused you to move ahead with your faith and make sure that you have a living faith and not a dead faith. That's what Jesus is teaching in these passages. All right, let me define. Here you go. Take it down. Mountains. What does a, uh, the series Moving Mountains and Mountains represent in Scripture? This is what it represents right here. Mountains represent the barriers, hindrances, obstacles, problems, and impossible things in front of you. That's what the mountain represents in Matthew 17, Matthew 21, and Mark 11. The things in front of you that come in various sizes and are unique to each person, they can be moved and shall be moved. God is my mountain mover, so I'm going to, I'm going to move my faith to at least a level to see myself as a mountain mover. Maybe you're not convinced that you're a mountain mover. Maybe you're not convinced the mountains in front of you will move at all. Relationship, finance, health, career, job, mind, thoughts, vocabulary, speech, devotions, prayer. Maybe, maybe you don't see those things moving so that your life can progress, but they can move and they shall move if you would say to them, get out of your way. If you would begin to speak faith to your problems and speak faith to your own spirit, you'll be surprised how your spirit would get filled with faith because it comes out of your mouth. If you're a negative person, you're a long ways from the kingdom of God. Not that you're a long ways from salvation, but you're a long ways from moving in the kingdom of God. Negative words, negative thought, negative spirit, bitterness of heart, bitterness of spirit, unforgiveness, all those things that trap faith in a dark hole and chain the door shut is what causes a person to never grow in faith. And so if you're going to grow in faith, you have to deal with your thoughts. You have to deal with your vocabulary. You have to deal with your mouth. You have to deal with your negative. You have to deal with those things that the Word of God says He wants to change. And so when you do that, you will find that you're able to speak to the barriers, the hindrances, the obstacles, the problems, and these impossible things in front of you. And you will say to this mountain, be moved, and it shall be moved. It, it will actually move from your life. There's other principles that come into play there, and we will say what those principles are. Here's a little piece of advice from Dr. Zeus. Dr. Zeus, you're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting, so get on your way. So be sure when you step, step with care. Remember, you will succeed. Yes, you will indeed, kid. You'll move mountains. Zeus is a good Christian. <laughs> he understands that you can move mountains. He says, come on, kid. It's a kid's book. What a great thing to be teaching a kid. Come on, kid, you'll move mountains. You move mountains. You can do this. You're going to succeed. Your life's going to change. Today's your day. Say to those mountains, grace, grace, you're going to move out of my way. And before you know it, things start moving around. Before you know it, that mountain is gone and you're moving down the road without the obstacles that used to be there and things are changing in your life. Come on, how many of you on every campus, 217 Mill Plain and Pearl, come on, how many would say, I want to be a mountain mover? 
Okay, let's try this together with the hands. I want to be a mountain mover. Okay, got that? We're going to say that phrase. Got your hand? I want you to say, follow me and listen to me and then you do it. I want to be a mountain mover. I want to be a mountain mover. I want to say, move. Move. You mountain, you're a molehill. You're nothing. It will move away from my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now turn to your neighbor and say, you sure look funny. Boy, what were you doing? What were you doing with your hands up? Shouting out all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, that's why the kingdom of God, Jesus said, if you think like a child, you'll be closer to my reality than some of these adults. Why? Because to move in the kingdom of God, to grow, you have to do some silly things sometimes that just seem silly. Like what I just did with you. But how many of you feel better that you said it? It just, at least you said it. You know, you mountain, you fig tree, I curse you. It didn't say Jesus swore at it. He cursed it. There is a difference. Okay. Let's identify a few mountains that I think every one of us are going to move. A few mountains every one of us want to move. Number one, mountains that are impossible looking. Impossible looking. That could be dreams. That could be destinies. That could be decisions. That could be a lot of things. But mountains that are impossible looking. Dreams that now look impossible. Not enough time left. Not enough resource left. The dream is simply out of reach. That's a mountain. That, that emotion and the mindset, that's the mountain you're up against. Impossible is a lie. Now you weigh on that for a while. You think about it for a while. Impossible is a lie. I guarantee you it's a lie because the longer you live, the things you thought were impossible, you've already done. Things that you thought would never work and you used the word impossible has already been working. As you live life, perspective changes and the word impossible becomes a lie. Well, you can never graduate from that school. It's impossible. You can never start that business. You can never find that spouse. You will never. And then later on, after all that's done, do you ever go back and say, well, impossible was a lie? Of course it was possible, but my perspective made it impossible, and my confession made it impossible. Impossible is a lie. Impossible is only how I see it. Impossible, it's amazing how you change your perspective, and now things get the word possible. It can be. It could be. I think I'm going to do this. Why? Because impossible is a mindset. Number two, mountains are defeat-invoking. Because mountains have defeated us in the past, and this is why the history of our life sometimes dictates defeat for our future. Don't let that happen. We may have a defeatist attitude mentality, 
And of course, that just adds to the defeatist mindset because we've been defeated in times past by some of the same mountains. We start getting a mindset. A defeatist person is one who surrenders easily. As soon as the mountain comes before them, they back off and quit. I'm not going to do anything about this. They accept defeat without a struggle. They won't even try to do the thing they want to do. They won't even try to get that mountain out of their way. They just, they've been defeated, and so they have a defeated mentality. Mountains that invoke a defeatist mentality must be moved. And here's some of the, the thoughts that a defeatist might have just in their emotions. Nobody cares for me and my problem. I'm the only one that sees it. I'm the only one who has this kind of a problem. Nobody cares, so why should I care? Everyone seems to be against me. Nobody helps me. My whole life is against me. It just seems I'm worried nothing will work out right because nothing has worked out right for me. I look at other people and I envy them and I think, how did it work so right? And so these are the emotions and the thoughts that are burying you from getting rid of the mountain, burying you from achieving the great things God has for you. My life counts for nothing. What a horrible thought. But people have it. My life counts for nothing. Are you a Christian? Of course I am. Have Christ in you. Have the Holy Spirit. Have the Word of God. You have a future destiny. You have God working for you, in you, and around you. And your life counts for nothing. That's a lie. Don't you see? That's a lie. And that lie paralyzes you and doesn't allow you to move forward because it's a mountain, a mountain of emotion that says you're worth nothing. You can do nothing. Nobody cares about what you do. Your life doesn't count for anything. You're just in the routine of boringness. And so you're just going to move ahead like this. You've got to get a hold of that mountain and you have to say to that mountain, be moved from my life. And you have to speak to it. Every time it comes up, you speak to it. Why can't I get the breaks others get? Well, you're getting breaks. You're getting a break today hearing this message. This is a great message, and you get to hear it. How many thousands of people don't ever get to hear anything like this? They, they live life and nobody ever challenges their emotions or their mind or their negative thoughts. And they think it's quite normal for their family tree to live like this, think like this, and act like this. And so they see themselves kind of in a normal situation where someone comes along and says, that's not normal. You should not believe that. You should not do that. You can change your thoughts. Your life is all ahead of you. You have a great thing going. You can count for something. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. That's your life. You move the mountains, and your life will change so quickly, you will be astounded. Number three, mountains are completely intimidating. They intimidate you. By the way, this is in the Bible too. Intimidation might be a spirit, but it certainly is an emotion. Physical sickness, infirmities, emotional problems, depression, anxiety, worry, fear, withdrawal, hesitation, all of those things come from intimidation. Life intimidates you. People intimidate you. Circumstances intimidate you. The devil intimidates you. If he thinks you're going to be a coward, then he'll get onto it and make sure he intimidates you every way he can. 2 Timothy 1.7, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding to what they say and are things which they affirm. Message says they set themselves up as experts on religious issues, but haven't the remotest idea of what they're holding forth with such imposing eloquence. Why? 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 Does Paul bring this out? Because they were intimidating people with their elegance and their, and their doctrines, but they were not telling the truth, and the people were intimidated into believing a lie. Intimidation, just remember this if you're taking notes, intimidation's roots is fear. 
Intimidation's root, that is, where intimidation grows the best is where there's fear. Because when there's fear, you can't have faith, can't have confidence. Everything intimidates you. Fear is the one that brings us together. Intimidations come to our life in many different ways. Here's a good scripture for you. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, out of the message translation, be strong, take courage. Don't be intimidated. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 6, don't be intimidated. Don't give them a second thought because God, your God, is striding ahead of you. He's right there with you. He won't let you down. He won't leave you. Amen. Don't be intimidated. Number four, mountains can be uh, moved, cannot be moved by your own strength. I know that sounds simple, but that's where it starts. You can't move mountains by your own strength. It's, it's the God grace, the God spirit, the God help. It's God coming to you as you humbling yourself. The more that we try to move the mountain on our own, what happens? The more we're frustrated, the more we're weary, the more we get uh, negative because we can't do anything. We're doing it on our own. That's where you get uh, this feeling that life just won't bend for you. Life won't break for you because it could be that you're doing all on your own strength. And you just have to humble yourself and say, Lord, I can't move this mountain. I don't know what to do. If you don't help me, I can't see anything what will change. So I'm going to learn how to get into you more. I'm going to learn to get your strength and your wisdom. And I'm going to bow my knee to you. I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to lean into it. And I'm going to find a way for God to heal this situation. Lord, I'm not going to do this on my own strength. Five, mountains can impede your progress with God. And the mountains on the card I gave you would be all very practical mountains that you will face. These mountains that will cause you not to have the kind of progress in God that you need to have. Number six, mountains are hopeless things that never change. Now, you think about that, that thought, that point. Do you have hopeless things that never change? Have you ever vowed to change something in you or about you only to see it not change? The mountain here is real. Mountains of things that never seem to change can be personality, can be habits, can be character, can be relationships, can be marriage, can be parenting. You carry this unchangeable thing and as soon as someone like me says, look at mountains are hopeless things that never change. How, how many of you on all the campuses this morning, how many of you have some hopeless things that seem to never change? Let me see your hands. You know, we all do. And the things that seem to change gives us hope that the changeless things can change. So you have to look at the things that have changed, do change, are changing, in order to get faith for the things that have never changed. All right, number seven, as the um, band comes to the platforms, Number seven, mountains are dark places of repeated defeat. Jeremiah 18, I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Great phrase, take faith with this. Jeremiah 18, one through four where it says, so he made it again. 
It was marred. It was flawed. So he made it again into a, another vessel. How many of us with our flaws and our failures and our repeats, we would like to be made simply into another vessel? Not just kind of put a Band-Aid on the wrong and sew up, you know, the scratches and this, but actually make us into another vessel. I would like to see Jesus make us into another vessel. Number eight, the last one, mountains are absolutely insurmountable circumstances. Now, all eight of these, I hope you take them and play them out in your life and begin to pray about them. Circumstances that look insurmountable aren't. They're not insurmountable because with God, there's, there's hope. With God, there's power. We have a limited point of view. We look at the mountains and our own limited resources and we say this circumstance can never change. It can change. And as soon as you get that first seed of thought, it can. It could. It might. Why don't I move myself just a little closer to the can and might than never and won't and see the mountains moved in my life?